Hey y'all, we're going to continue on our journey through the book of 1 Samuel with chapter 9, verse 1. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bichrath, son of Aphia, of the tribe of Benjamin. His son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. So here we have Saul introduced, and he's clearly easy to pick out. He's not only a hottie toddy, he's taller and heads above other, all the others. So we'll continue in verse 3. One day, Kish's donkeys strayed away, and he told Saul, Take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of the servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, the land of Shalisha, the Sha'alim area and the entire land of Benjamin, but they couldn't find the donkeys anywhere. Finally, they entered the region of Zuf, and Saul said to his servant, Let's go home. By now my father will be more worried about us than about the donkeys. But the servant said, I've just thought of something. There is a man of God who lives here in this town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, Saul replied. Even our food is gone, and we don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small silver piece. We can at least offer it to the man of God and see what happens. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, Let's go ask the seer, for prophets used to be called seers. All right, Saul agreed. Let's try it. So they started into the town where the man of God lived. And I love this because God is definitely setting the way for Saul to become Israel's first king. Israel wants a king. It's not God's plan, but God's going to work around that. And he still has mercy and grace and love for his people. So he's going to give them a, a king and Saul is going to be chosen as the king. And they were out looking for donkeys, but they end up finding Saul's calling and they were looking, they start looking for a man of God to help find these donkeys who are just out lost somewhere. So we'll continue on in verse 11. As they were climbing the hill of the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servants asked, is the seer here today? Yes, they replied. Stay right on this road. He is at the town gates. He has just arrived to take part in a public sacrifice up at the place of worship. Hurry and catch him before he goes up there to eat. The guests won't begin eating until he arrives to bless the food. So they entered the town, and as they passed through the gates, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the place of worship. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be the leader of my people, Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, That's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then, Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, Can you please tell me where the seer's house is? So here, God had already spoken to Samuel about Saul the day prior. God speaks to us at any time, and and he had already heard the fact that this was going to happen today. In verse 19, 
I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. I, we will eat there together, and in the morning, I'll tell you what you want to know and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. And I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. So here he's going to go tell them, he's going to meet with Saul in the morning and tell Saul what he wants to know, but he doesn't realize what he wants to know is something different than what he's actually looking for. He's looking for the donkeys and he tells them the donkeys have been found, but he has something more to tell Saul and he has no idea what's coming yet at this point. In verse 21, Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? And he's referring to the fact that Saul is going and his family are going to be the focus of all of Israel's hope. All of Israel's hope is lying on Saul. And he's like confused because I'm the least of everything. And you, you think like it appears humble, but humility is completely others focused, focusing our attention, our emotion, our mind, our spiritual things all on, on, on God and others around us. He's very self-focused here, so it feels more like he's insecure. Like, I'm just a small man. I can't do... We're the least important people. It's all I, I, I. So it appears humble, but he's actually sounding a little bit insecure here. In verse 22, Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and placed them at the head of the table, honoring them above the 30 special guests. Samuel then instructed the cook to bring Saul the finest cut meat, the piece that had been set aside for the guest of honor. So the cook brought in the meat and placed it before Saul. Go ahead and eat it, Samuel said. I was saving it for you even before I invited these others. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the place of worship and returned to town, Samuel took Saul up to the roof of the house and prepared a bed for him there. At daybreak the next morning, Samuel called to Saul, Get up! It's time you were on your way. So Saul got ready, and he and Samuel left the house together. When they reached the edge of town, Samuel told Saul to send his servant ahead. After the servant was gone, Samuel said, Stay here, for I have received a special message for you from God. So he says, get up. It's time you're on your way. I have a special message for you from God. And how many of us feel like God is saying that to us today? Get up. It's time to be on our way. God's speaking to us and God's nudging us towards where he wants us to be in our lives. And we'll continue on in chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be ruler, ruler over Israel, his special possession. So here we have a private coronation and Israel's first king is being put forth. In verse 2, when you leave me today, you will see two men beside Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. He is asking, have you seen my son? When you get to the Oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will be bringing three young goats, another will have three loaves of bread, and the third will be carrying a wineskin full of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves, two of the loaves, which you are to accept. 
When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait for seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. So we here we have God makes a way. And we have an anointing coming down straight from God. And the anointing is the symbol of God's calling and presence in our lives. And the people in this time period, they would have seasons of the Holy Spirit. But we get the Holy Spirit always, every moment of every day of our lives when we accept Jesus as our Savior. And we can walk like we've been anointed because we have. So here we have the private coronation. And it's a private call. When God calls us forward, it's a private call. And then he gives us confirmation confirmation and clear direction. And he does that for Saul. He gives him clear confirmation and direction tells him exactly what's going to happen as he moves forward ahead of ahead. and it's confirmation for him that God is speaking the truth and in that confirmation we see what happens with God when you accept Jesus as your savior what was lost will be found they found the donkeys they are no longer lost they are found and the um the the hunger the hunger is fed. There, there's no longer a hunger. You're being fed. And after the private call, they give these instructions and, and he says he's going to have bread and wine and two of those loaves you are to accept. When you accept Jesus as your personal savior, your hunger will be fed. fed. Your spirit will be full and he will praise. And when we accept Jesus, we praise God and he joins in their praise. And then he is filled with the Spirit. And when we accept Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with Jesus. And his power transforms us. And he says, you'll be a different person. If you are walking with Jesus, there should be obvious changes in our lives. We become different people. We long after the things of God. Our heart stirs at the presence of God. And then we're filled and and comforted and transformed by the Holy Spirit. And these are the same confirmations of his blessings on us in our own lives. And um, then we move on and... And he's, we know he's insecure. He has, he has insecurities, but the Holy Spirit is our cure of insecurity. The power of the Holy Spirit can work through us to give us that assurance in God. And then we have the assurance of God's appointment. And we'll continue with that in verse 9, where we see the empowerment of God come upon Saul's life, which is also a part of walking into our calling. As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. And I love that. He got a new heart. We are in Jesus and in his will. We get new hearts. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? And one of those standing there said, Can anyone become a prophet, no matter who his father is? So that is the origin of the saying, is even Saul a prophet? 
When Saul had finished prophesying, he went up to the place of worship. Where have you been? Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. So here we have him walking into his calling and the spirit empowers him. And the spirit is with us every day to empower us and direct us and guide us. And when we accept the spirit, changes happen in our life and people should be able to recognize and see those changes in us. We'll continue with Saul's uncle asking him where they've been. They answer, we were looking for the donkeys, Saul replied, but we couldn't find them. So we went to Samuel to ask him where they were. Oh, what did he say? His uncle asked. He told us that the donkeys had already been found, Saul replied, but Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel said about the kingdom. So he's like not ready to take that on. He knows it's all true. He's got confirmation, but he's like, "Mm, it's not about titles or being labeled. Being a servant of God is about the go and what you're doing with the people around you. It's not about callings or titles. It's about ministry and changing hearts and saving people for the kingdom for eternity and saving them from death and giving them life. In verse 17, later Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah, and he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all of the nations that were oppressing you. But but though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, no, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. And again, this wasn't God's design, but he's going to work around it. In verse 20, So Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? So he's so insecure. He's like, no, he knew it was going to happen. So he ran off and hid. We'll continue. So they asked God, dude, where's our king? And the Lord replied, he is hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out. And he stood a head and shoulders above anyone else. So he is a a man from a tall place and his insecurities, even though he, he is doing and walking into his call, his securities still slip in because he's human. And sometimes our human nature will, may still slip in. But the point is we long after God. We're not perfect. And Saul, he looks like a king. He's, he's handsome and tall and appears like a king. And he's ready to, to walk into that calling, but not really. He's still feeling insecure. And we'll continue on with verse 24. Then Samuel said to all the people, This is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. So here, when we walk into our calling, we get a public, there's a public realization of what God's doing in your life. And you get support. We'll see that in verse 25. Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of the king were. He wrote them down on a a scroll and placed it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home again. When Saul returned to his home in Gibeah, a group of men whose hearts God had touched went with him. So he has support. He's not in this alone. He has a team. God raises teams up together so we can work together in union to spread the gospel through the nation. And he's to keep getting ready. Sometime he had to wait seven days in the previous verses. And 
then he ended up hiding and he's timid and insecure. But the ones in hiding is usually the ones that God calls. He calls the least likely and he calls Saul and he is, he seems as though, um, he's, he's supposed to be king, but he's a little, he's still human. He's not perfect. But when the spirit of the Lord is on someone, it, it does mean that he'll use them for his purposes in spite of our shortcomings. It doesn't mean they'll be perfect or they won't be troubles or there won't be wrongs. We're, per- we're not perfect. We're, we're called by God and we are chasing God. And this is, he's from Gibeah, the tribe of Benjamin. And this is the same city God pulled this king out from the same tribe that had the Levite with the concubine in the book of Judges. And this is a Benjamin man that he is calling and he is writing up the least likely. God calls and uses the least like, likely. And we'll continue in verse 27. But there were some scoundrels who complained. How can this man save us? And they scorned him and refused to bring him gifts. But Saul ignored them. Nahash, king of the Ammonites, had been grievously oppressing the people of Gad and Reuben, who lived east of the Jordan River. He gouged out the right eye of each of the Israelites living there, and he didn't allow anyone to come and rescue them. In fact, all the Israelites east of the Jordan, there wasn't a single one whose right eye Nahash had not gouged out. But... There were 7,000 men who had escaped from the Amorites, and they had settled in Jabesh Gilead. So here we have opposition to Saul. There's people that are rising up and complaining like this. This is our king. When we step into our calling and we start doing God's work in our lives, we can expect opposition. We can expect to face some struggles and difficulties. And they, Jabesh Gilead in Judges chapter um 20 they in 21 they they didn't help israel when israel was being attacked and they became an undefended territory because israel kind of shunned them and and closed them out and they don't have a whole lot of defense there so jadesh jabesh gilead is is a city where there's seven thousand people that fled to but they're not very well um protected they're undefended, mostly, by the Israelite nation. So we'll continue in chapter 11 tomorrow. I hope you all are having a most wonderful day.